You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. It is good to have you all. Thank you for online for joining us. For those of you who are watching this maybe 16 weeks from now, welcome. Uh, we've been working through Matthew And this morning we're going to begin a new section, a new speech. Jesus has five speeches as we run through the book. And this is the fourth of the five speeches that we're just beginning. And we'll be there for the next several days. And what he's asking there is about greatness. So if you're here two weeks ago, I gave you a homework assignment. Or if you watch the Facebook video, I gave you a homework assignment. What was it? I'm guessing you probably didn't do it since you don't remember it. <laughs> I said, what, what's, a, what's a person you look at and you say, that was a great person? Over here, somebody. Have courage. A great person. My father. My father. Okay, that's good. What's his name? Joe. Joe. That's a good man. Abraham Lincoln would be another widely recognized great man. Yeah, very much so. Great, great leader. Jim Dryden. Jim Dryden. Dryden. Yes. Excellent. One more. Myrna Alexander. Myrna Alexander. All of us know Myrna, absolutely one of the great leaders ever. She and Ralph started this, a part of this church way back when. And Myrna, I just saw her just last week. Amazing woman of God, just amazing leader. So what we ask that, because what happens when you think about this, this is the word we get all over the place. You're destined for greatness. How do you get there? Believe in yourself. Go for it. Is that the way to greatness? One way. Here's another one. You have greatness in you. What do you do? Be a beast. Well... <laughs> Actually, Jesus has a little bit different perspective. When I think of great leaders, I've got a number in my mind, but one that has impressed me so deeply is this man, Nelson Mandela. Mandela was born in South Africa in 1918, right at the end of World War I. And there in South Africa, he was born a Husha chief in that family. But really early on, because of the apartheid that was happening in South Africa, this radical separation and just the awful stuff that was being doing to Africans and colored people, uh, he became a lawyer and pretty quickly got involved with the African National Congress. And as he was doing this, he became more and more, we would say, radicalized because of the way the black folk were being treated there in Africa by the white, majority, white minority government. And it became worse and worse as time went on. And as he became more and more involved, initially he was really committed to, anti, to nonviolence, but as he saw what was happening, he just got more and more involved in the violence side of the resistance. And by 1953, he was becoming involved with the more radical side of things. He formed a group uh, called the Defiance Campaign in the Congress of the People, and eventually became involved in a sabotage campaign against the government, and was 
1961, began a trial. This actually ended a trial in 1961 where the goal was to convict him and get rid of him, and it failed. He was declared innocent along with 157 people after six years of trial, and just horrible, horrible times. And things got worse and worse in the country there on South Africa. And not long after that, they tried him again, and he was convicted and sent to Robben Island. This is a picture of what he did at Robben Island. He arrived there in 1964 with no hope of ever getting out. He didn't get the death penalty. He got life in prison. And he went there. It was a six-by-six concrete block cell, a chair, a desk, a honey bucket, and three shirts and shorts, which is a way of saying you're just a boy. You're not a man. No bed, no plumbing, minimum food, and this was their days. Sitting in the courtyard of the prison there in Robben Island, breaking rocks, literally, rain or shine, heat, hot or cold, and it gets both in South Africa. And that was his life. How would you respond to being treated like that? He's a man who's been involved in violent anti-government activities before his conviction. But he went there and he began practicing kindness. He actually had a deep experience with Jesus Christ. He'd been raised in a nominally Methodist home, been baptized as a baby. But there he experienced Jesus in a whole new way. Later on, he was able to hear a Billy Graham crusade and made a deep commitment of faith to Jesus, but really with just a recommitment of faith that was already there. And he became known as a, a man of empathy, kindness, and respect of others, including his guards. Now, he wasn't a milk toast; He didn't get run over. But he was always kind and respectful, even to the most hostile of guards. How things go, there's a man who came in 1966, two years after he was in Robin Prison, and being horribly mistreated. James Gregory came on and became his guard. And when he came, Nelson Mandela, the prisoner, welcomed the black prisoner, welcomed James Gregory, the white guard, said, good morning, sir. Welcome to Robben Island. How often do prisoners greet guards in a horrible situation? Such was the man. Long process. Uh, he was in prison for 27 years in uh, this is the day of his release, 1990, walking hand-in-hand hand with his wife, Winnie Mandela. That was a marriage that was soon to fall apart because she responded in different ways. She became more and more bitter, more and more hostile, and they ended up divorcing because of that. But as he came out, what he said was, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd be in prison because his contact with Jesus Christ and other people in the prison there, including some guards who were Christians, and they started practicing that. This man he's standing with there is the Prime Minister of South Africa there in 1990. His name is F.W. de Klerk. He was a member of the hated people who had tortured and imprisoned him unjustly, cruelly. He came out committed to working with this man who had imprisoned him was the administration behind that. And what he said was, if you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy. Then he becomes your partner. The attitude of Jesus Christ come out. 1990, he joined the African National Congress, now as president, committed to the, 
what we'd call racial reconciliation and the incredible, incredible harshness of the South African context was elected president in 1994. And as he was elected president, he went back to Robben Island Prison. Now, this is a very, very famous picture of Nelson Mandela. A year after he received the Nobel Peace Prize, he and de Klerk together received the Nobel Peace Prize because of what they'd done there in South Africa and dismantling apartheid. And they're in prison. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. See, this attitude of Jesus Christ in a man who went through as harsh as you can go through in this life and still be alive. Because he knew the power of Jesus and he knew Jesus' forgiveness for his own sin. He was able to give respect and empathy and forgiveness to people who treated him so harshly. Truly a man of God. This is one of the many quotes you can see. This book, Great Souls, by David Aiken, Aikman, uh, has a good biography of Mandela, a short one, along with six others. Most of the biographies don't mention he's Christian, but it was incredibly important to his change. And this is part of his attitude. I never lose. I never lose. This is a man who everything taken away. I never lose. I either win or learn. This is a great man. And what we're talking about today is that same kind of attitude as Jesus talks about this uh, thing for the... So I want to read this together, Matthew 18. We'll just look at the first 10 verses of this speech that will be in for the next several weeks. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And my mind goes back to Mandela. Even as president, he made his own bed and talked to children because he believed this. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, he said. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better to enter life maimed and crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye calls you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into fire of hell. See that you not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's a challenging passage, and this is just the first one. This first begins with greatness in the kingdom. As we go on through the next weeks, we will look in the next passage, which seek those who wander away, the parable of the lost sheep. Because that's the attitude, is to be seeking the lost ones. After that, we've got what's often called church discipline, which really help others escape the snares of sin. 
Let's go to great lengths in order to rescue those who've been caught up in the snares of sin. It's not church discipline. It's not killing bad people. It's not kicking out disagreeable people. It's helping people find the grace and healing of God. And then Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive Jesus? Like seven times? And Jesus knows 77 times. Have an attitude of forgiveness even with multiple offenses. And I think again of Mandela, who learned that from the bottom. And the reason is, and Jesus tells an incredible parable to finish up chapter 18, is you always remember how much you have been forgiven. And something we're very forgetful of in our society today. But that's reality. That's the chapter. That's this speech we're going to go through in the next few weeks here as we work through Matthew. He begins this. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's a good question. Good question or bad question? I think it's a great question. First of all, bring your question to Jesus and his people. Have courage to go ask. Ask it respectfully to be sure, but ask the questions. Ask the hard questions. Ask the embarrassing questions. Ask with a smile and say what it is. Is it wrong to seek greatness? And so I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Desiring kingdom greatness is good. It's what kind of greatness you're after. See, if you're after graceness, greatness that means maximize my wealth and privilege so I can put down other people, which is kind of common, the be a beast type greatness, that's not kingdom greatness. I look at what Jesus says back in the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches other accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. How do you get there? Observe the way of Jesus. We want to be great in the kingdom. Just Paul talking here about his own mission. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm apostle to the Gentiles. Know what he says? I take pride in my ministry. He takes pride in what he gets to do. Now, it's kingdom greatness, not self-centered greatness, to be sure. That I might somehow rise my own people envy and save some. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, there's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Yes, we aspire to greatness, kingdom greatness. How do we get there? That's, of course, the question. And what Jesus says is he brings a little child. Now, you know what I'm going to do right now, don't you? Those of you who know me, my name is Gary. What am I going to show you right now? Grandkid pictures, you bet, absolutely. Two cute grandkids. Oh, my gosh, this is about 10 years ago. Nicole and Joy in our bath in our Halsey house and they were having so much fun. First time they'd ever been in a bath with jets in it and bubbles, and oh, they are having so much fun. That was 10 years ago. Those cute little girls, you touch those girls, you're going to die. Okay? Just warning. <laughs> this is these two girls just recently. They tattooed sister tattoos on their arms just to let them know how much they love each other. Nicole turns 21 tomorrow. I'm just so proud of that girl. And Joy, artistic, I mean, they're just amazing. That's what he's talking about except Jesus is not talking about them. Because they're the, prize, they're the prize of your eyes, aren't they? Come on, online. They're the prize of your eyes, right? I mean, these are incredible girls. See, but he's not talking about that. Because in that culture, kids are not wonder kids. Kids have no value to anybody. What he's talking about is this. There's a video on YouTube that I found, and if you... This girl is 
in Gaza with the recent war that went on. And without getting at all the politics of the war, this is a girl in front of her bombed-out house, and she's crying because she's so helpless. There's nothing she can do. It's a two-minute video. I'm just a kid, Gaza. And you can see the video. It's heartbreaking. But this is what Jesus is talking about. She's crying. I'm just a kid. I'm 10 years old. What can I do? See, that's the child that Jesus pulls forward. It's not the wonder child with all kinds of privilege. And what he says here with kids, the kid is small. Not a, not a powerful person. Kid is obedient, not giving orders, receiving orders. And that's the kind of thing he says for us to do. Be powerless, like this Palestinian girl. She has nothing, no power of any kind. She's unseen, except a news reporter did see her and filmed her tearful response to what was happening to her. She's a receiver. She's not, she can't take charge of anything. And in this case, she's receiving some really bad stuff. Incredibly vulnerable. See, that's the child that Jesus brings forth. Be like that, he says. If you want to be great, be like that. And we say, Jesus, that's stupid. And see, it is if we come from normal culture where the way to greatness is through power. But that's not the way to greatness. He says, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest. So the way to be great is to be little. The secret to greatness is to live little. Because we're told, you know, be a beast. No. Live little. Live as a servant. Live as a child. That's the way to greatness in the kingdom. And that's the lesson of Nelson Mandela. Now, that doesn't mean you're a dish rag. But when you do things, you do it with respect, not with hostility. We become childlike by giving ourselves to little people and little tasks. I had a pastor friend tell me a story. Uh, of a, He was hiring an executive pastor in a large church, and he put out a national call for applicants. He got a lot because it's a big church and a nice salary. And he had several come in for interviews, and what he'd do, he'd pick them up at the airport, he'd bring them to the church, and as they got out of the car, there was a kind of a nasty sack of used McDonald's over on the side of the driveway. And if the guy got out and walked into the building, Mark would say, pick up your stuff, we're headed to the airport. And the guy, what do you mean? He said, you already failed your exam. You already failed your interview. There's no use talking any further. How come? Because any person that's going to be executive pastor who would not stop and pick up the used McDonald's is not worthy of the job. That's exactly right. Do you overlook the little tasks because they're below you? Do you overlook the little people because they're not worth your time? You just failed the test of greatness. The test of greatness is to look for the forgotten and the menial and serve it with joy because it's like what Jesus is doing. Paul says this, live in harmony. Don't be proud. Don't be willing to associate with people in low position. Don't be conceited. That's what he says. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Nelson Mandela, be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. See, that's the attitude of greatness. But he goes on. 
Anyone who causes these little ones to stumble, better have a large mill strong on his neck. Woe to the world, woe to the world, because they cause things to stumble. Woe to those through whom they come. Do not cause anybody to stumble. This is a millstone. This is what it would have looked like in the first century. They still use them today. It's a really large stone, and in these stones, a donkey walks around. The stone rolls and crushes the grain. That's a millstone. Now think about that. This is what Jesus says for child abusers. And anybody who causes a weak person to stumble. That's what he's talking about. He's very, very serious about this. Woe to the world. Woe to those who cause somebody to stumble because we're very careful not to cause others to sin. We're very careful. Don't damage anybody's faith. Now, this is not the old battle axe who's offended because you don't carry a King James Bible. They're not a weaker brother or sister, I promise you. But see, for the weaker person whose faith is weak and we do something that causes them to sin, don't do it. Don't do it. Paul says, if what I eat causes my weaker brother or sister to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again. Whatever it takes, I will not cause them to fall. Jesus said this way, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, throw it away. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. What's he saying here? What he's saying is be violent to your own sin stuff. Not be violent to the person you don't like or the person that's sinning against you. Be kind to them. Be violent to yourself because you're so ruthless to get rid of the sin in your life because you know that's the problem. Mandela, again, the most difficult thing is not to change society. No, that's not hard. The hard stuff is change yourself. So you look at that, the analogies that he's using here. Hands, what should hands do? They should reach out to serve people. But see, the hand, when it goes bad, reaches out for the forbidden. Cut it off. Throw it away. He's saying, the foot should walk over to help somebody or to do the menial task. But when it goes bad, the foot goes to the destructive and breaks things. Cut it off. Throw it away, Jesus says. The eye should be looking for things of beauty to rejoice in. When it goes bad, it looks for the defiled image to bring that in and corrupt our soul. Count it out. Throw it away, Jesus says. And what I find is in our society today, we're not ruthless towards sin in our own lives. We're not. And that's a problem. That's a problem. What this says by Jesus, as I read it, is I can't blame others for my sin. I can't blame others for my sin. Now, to be sure, others have impact in our lives, without a doubt. Culture around us has impact in our lives. But I can't shirk my responsibility for choosing to sin. Nelson Mandela had everything going against him. But through the power of Jesus Christ, he resisted the sin. He got the lesson. There's a movie coming out. Actually, it reminds me back to the old one. I'm an old guy. I remember this one. Remember the cartoon version? How many are old enough to remember the cartoon version of 100? Okay, some of you are in here. You young folk, go watch it. It's really good. 
Then in 1996, they came out with a live action version of 101 Dalmatians. What did Cruella DeVille do? She wanted to capture puppies, kill them, and skin them, and make coats out of them. The ultimate evil, right? Well, the movie that's coming out this summer is a different movie. Cruella DeVille, now, it tells the backstory, and what you find out is she was born Esther, Estella, sorry. And Estella was a sensitive young girl who was misunderstood, ended up being incredibly abused by the Baroness von, what's her name? Uh, oh, I've got it here somewhere. Bar Baroness von Hellman. And because of the way she was abused, she turned out to be cruel. And there's a whole story. I won't break it for you. But see, she becomes Cruella de Vil, and therefore the evil things she does, she's not really responsible for. Because it's Baroness von Hellman who's to be at fault. I absolutely repudiate that. To be sure, people doing things in your family history has an impact on you, but say, I have no responsibility as to disabuse what Jesus says. My sin is my stuff. Even if it comes from somebody else, I've got to deal with my sin. Now get help to do it. God be praised, there's lots of help available here. If you're one of those that's wrestling a hard sins, the addictive, compulsive type things, or just the normal cussedness that I do well, right, Sherry? Yep, she nodded big time. She knows me. Take care of it. Gouge it out. Throw it away. Because it messes everything up. It messes everything up when we give in to it. Now I think of Jesus' followers here. Jesus is defining the community of Grace Community Church. And he begins by saying, seek greatness by living little. And that lesson in our be a beast culture is going to be seen as servility. Live little, live servant, live kind in the face of opposition, in the face of hostility, is going to be viewed as servility. And our, the church has been called into the, what we'd call the culture wars. We've got to fight for God's truth. We've got to protect. Well, I ran across a video a week ago. David French does the, uh, the French Express. French, yeah. And uh, so I, I subscribe to it. He's a national level Christian commentator. And he, ha at the end of each one, he has, and now this. And he's got songs usually, worship songs, and they're always good. But this time he had a video. It's a video of Derwin Gray who was a monster beast linebacker. Busted himself up, and even though he was a pastor while he was a football player, now he's a pastor of church back in the Chicago area. This video is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Watch. For some reason, over the last, like, I would say 30 years, it's like, we need to protect Jesus. So I'm going to put on my gloves, and you know what? A presidential candidate can destroy the Bible. Y'all remember that one? I'm like, hold on. Hold on. So the church has lasted longer than Nero, longer than the medieval uh, uh, times, and then all of a sudden a politician in 2021 is going to destroy Christianity and the Bible? Is our God that puny? Is our God that weak? So you know what? Man, we had better put on our gloves and we got to fight the culture. We got to jab the culture. We got to jab the culture. See, I don't get to do this anymore because I'm a pastor, but there's a lot of 
rage up in a brother and I just can't get it out because I can't tackle nobody. I still want to do it even though my back won't let me. But even just, but this is the way we want to protect Jesus. <laughs> oh, we got to protect him from the liberals. We got to protect him from the communists. We got to protect him from the capitalists. We got to protect him and protect him. And God is like, you do know I rose from the dead, right? <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, You do know that every star you see, 330 million in our galaxy, and there's 330 million galaxies that we know, I protected them all. I walked on the water. I rose from the dead. I died on the cross. I'm the king of kings. So listen, take off your little gloves. Take them off. Take off your little gloves, and let's do this instead. Ephesians 4.2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I want that man for my pastor. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. But see, what he's saying is we've got to go to, to live little, be humble, be helpful. By the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he's saying. Worship team, you want to come on up here? We're going to sing about this in a minute. How do you cut off sin? Frederick Dale Bruner is my favorite commentator, and I quote him often. But when he talks about cutting off sin, what he says is limit my freedom in order not to hurt others or the community. And that don't hurt others is an ethic that many do. Let's practice it. Except let's think of the brother or sister as somebody who's weak and say, not only how can I not hurt them, but how can I help them? Limit my freedom for the sake of the brother in the community. Focus our sights on present duties and little people instead of striving for greatness by being a beast. Instead of defecting myself and being defensive, I'm open to other people say, Gary, you're being a jerk. And I've got some people in this room who are good at that, which I appreciate. I really do. I'm serious about that. I like it when people point out things in me that I'm blind to. Because I don't, I want to be a humble man. It does not come easy to me. Reign in our appetites and actions. Reign them in. In a culture that says, if you feel like it, do it. We say, no. There's a lot of things I'm not going to do, including some things there's nothing wrong with because it might hurt somebody else. Reign it in by attacking, being violent to that sin garbage in me and get help in doing it. That's what he's talking about. I find this a very provocative thought. Very provocative thought. Where's my confidence? Jesus calls us to be the confidence of a child trusting in the goodness of the Father and the power of the Father, like Derwin Gray's video. I found myself thinking about that a lot as I pondered this passage. And I want us to think about that together as we sing this song. It's a call to confession, come to the altar. So you need to come to the altar right now to meet Jesus and deal with, I got this sin in my life that's destroying me or destroying my people around me. I need help. Some of you don't know Jesus yet. You need to meet him and be, learn how to receive his grace and goodness and forgiveness and healing. Come to the altar. <laughs>
Let's thank you to these folk. Stephen, Rachel, get up here. Come on. Adler, New Things, Logan, SC, Hannah, Emily, thank you. Thank you. Love, love, love seeing this team up here. You know, when I think about this, I keep, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Jesus here in Matthew 18, but I've been spending a lot of time thinking about Nelson Mandela, who exemplified the life of Jesus so much. Toward the end of his life, as a prime minister of South Africa, they're trying to bring the unified company, country back together in unity. And because of the past stuff that had happened, the Zulu chief, uh, Budalese, was making he wanted to be treated well and felt he was not being treated well by the coalition government. Henry Kissinger, no mean negotiator, came to negotiate and walked away from the table saying, this is the worst disaster I've ever been a part of. And it looked like the entire effort was falling apart. And Kissinger is not one to give up easy. But Washington Okumu, a Kenyan, dedicated, deeply Christian man, also a negotiator, stayed at the table. Talked to F.W. Clarick, the white man who had been the prime minister, who was a deeply committed Christian. Nelson Mandela, a deeply committed Christian. And Chief Budalese, also a dedicated Christian. And in the name of Jesus Christ, put together an agreement that brought South Africa together in a single country. The headlines of the world said things like, faith had a role in apartheid's end. A miracle happened at the table today. That's the power of Jesus Christ. When you say, I have every right to be bitter, angry, sinful, but I'm going to choose a different path. Because no matter how much I've been forgiven, I can grant forgiveness to others. I know how much I yet need to learn about the garbage in me and bring it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to call you today. As we finish up here today, I want you to think of one person that you need to show empathy and kindness to that doesn't deserve it. And they don't. One person that you could show empathy and kindness to or forgiveness and that does not deserve it. And then do that in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then take one look inside yourself and perhaps get a close friend or a spouse or children, they're good too, to say, yeah, Dad, you're, this is not good about you. Instead of becoming defensive to receive it in the name of Jesus and say, son, daughter, friend, wife, help me because I want to cut it off and throw it away so I can be like Jesus. That's our call here at Grace Community Church. So you need to talk to somebody before you leave. Find somebody near you. Talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to one of the leaders. Talk to one of the team up here. They're great. Let's not walk out of here unchanged. Father, thank you that you loved us when we were enemies and sinners and vile. And you still loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. To come back and be resurrected to bring us that new life. Pour out the Holy Spirit to give us the power for change and the power to forgive. Show us that power, we pray, in our community today as we pray, fall, Holy Spirit, in this place that we become a community of Jesus Christ called Grace Community Church and welcome everybody 
to come and share the good news of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.